What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. Elite teams are built on the foundations of purpose and mission. That foundation will rot if you allow productive a-holes to stick around on your team. Those are, paraphrase, the words of Kevin Walters. So Kevin is joining us today on the show. He's an accomplished DEIB talent acquisition management strategist with over 20 years of experience empowering organizational change within growth-minded companies. He's developed transformative solutions across startups and top Fortune 500 companies like Silk Road, Amazon, Coca-Cola, Enterprises, Microsoft, and Home Depot. He's got deep expertise in building an inclusive, collaborative culture, enhancing employee engagement, driving adoption of technology products, managing retention, and influencing leadership to foster an environment that attracts and retains engaged diverse populations of employees. Kevin Walters, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. And I'm, I'm going to yep. probably not ask you to say that backwards, but that was a lot. I appreciate the intro. That is a lot. And I think that provides a great bridge for us to carry the conversation forward. So I know we mentioned a lot of stuff from your professional background in that, that intro. What else do you feel is important for the listeners to know about you that's going to inform this conversation that we're having? Yeah, Jim, one of the things that's been said about me and that I feel I bring to the table is authenticity and, and credibility. I always speak from life experiences, not only of myself, but of others and bring in that real lens of authenticity, really helping people understand that we diversity is hard. We understand that it's challenging, it's uncomfortable, but it's, it's like that for everyone. And so it's okay to have a real conversation and ask questions. And as long as we respect and value others, I think it's okay for the goal is to actually foster those communications. I like how you brought out the point of being authentic and how you show up in helping guide these conversations forward. One of the things that I'm curious about is that authenticity gets thrown around as a buzzword these days when you're looking at setting the stage or setting the foundations to actually show up the way that you want to show up. What are some of the things that you've noticed or you've put into place that's really created those environments where people can bring their whole selves to work, be really authentic. One of the things I try to do in working with leaders is help everyone understand that we're all biased and we're all flawed, that no one is perfect. And I'm not an expert for sure on the entire Black and African-American community. And so I bring my own personal experiences and experiences I've learned of others. And I think everyone should have a voice and a platform to understand one another. So as long as we respect and value the opinions of others, we can agree to disagree but we surely should allow others to be heard. So I think when you, when you come into a, a challenging conversation and allow people to understand that, hey, this is going to be a forum where everyone is respected. We're not going to be judging and, and we don't want you to feel like this is a trial by any means. People are less likely to be defensive and at least be open. 
And the last thing I'll say is I try to be a little engaging and we talk about engagement, right? Employee engagement, which is a key because you want to keep the attention of your customers as well as your audience. There's something about what you said that I really like how you tied it together. One, you mentioned that it's uh, it's completely acceptable and actually encouraged for everybody to recognize that they have biases and approach the world with eyes wide open as far as their own biases. But the other part that struck me was that from a leadership principles perspective, a lot of people, when you bring up the issue of bias, they might get combative or defensive about even the issue of bias. But one of the fundamental principles of leadership and effective leadership is meeting people where they are. So if you, as a leader within an organization, aren't recognizing your own biases as you enter into conversations and interactions, you're never really meeting the full potential of your ability to meet people where they are. That's the distinction that I, I, I like that you've made and, and I wanted to call out. When you think about your time as a consultant and your professional career in this space, what's the accomplishment that you're most proud of? The one thing I would say is taking that leap forward to the C-suite from working in a very programmatic role in a large enterprise organization to a startup where I actually was in charge of the thought leadership within the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, being a talent advisor to a product company, make a recommendation on best practices of how we could really, when people think of DEI, sometimes I think it's very limited and we just think about race, gender, but really being a person that, hey, here's how this can just really work for everyone right across the organization. And I met with sales, operations, our CEO, and really worked individually on a one-to-one -one basis to show the value and benefit of being an inclusive organization. How is that received within a product organization? And here's where I'm coming from. When we look at embedding DEI within an organizational culture, that's best practices. I've talked to a lot of DEIB leaders that, that say, hey, if you want to do this right, it's got to be embedded in every element of your organization. The reason that I ask that question is that when you're looking at technology organizations or product organizations, they've typically been behind when it comes to adopting DEIB principles. It was interesting because I think to your point, a lot of the other my peers and other leaders had not experienced that, right? They had been working in siloed organizations where the scope was very limited and looked at DEI almost as a support mechanism to either HR as a partnership limited scope to helping people with training and looking for transformation. I think the goal of any adoption is to show the value to not just yourself, but the value to the sponsor or the organization that you're working with. And that's what I did. So I like how you tied that. When you look at most organizations of any size, your customer base is global. So if your organization doesn't reflect the customers that you serve, you're going to have big problems when it comes to growth. And you're probably going to have some biases baked in to how your product is structured and executed. That's going to be problematic as well. So I really like how you brought that out. What's the most fun aspect about the, your role as a consultant? Jim, like what I love about what I do, and I've always heard, I heard Spike leaders say it this week at the LinkedIn Talent Connect Conference, if you are doing something that you really enjoy doing and you're passionate about, it's not work. And what I, working in this space of the transformation, inclusion, change agent, it's not work for me. This is like my life. This is what I do. And 
I have fun every day doing it. I love the work. I'm always trying to learn, listen to different points of view, and also love that the impact it has on people's lives. I'll give one quick story as the company I worked for when, I, when we merged, the new company, we did not have Martin Luther King as one of the national holidays that they celebrated. And I was just shocked, first of all, because like, it, it was an optional floating holiday. And one of my first tasks, I think not even within 90 days of the merger, was to talk to my peers. And I, I want to appreciate them because I didn't have to have a convincing argument, but I said, we're not going to be able to attract anyone from underserved, marginalized communities if we're not celebrating someone who really fought for not just civil rights, but human rights of others. And that impact and being able to get that on the books, like immediately, I got so many emails from people of all demographics, because I did a training kind of explaining who he was, people that did, I thought, assumed that they knew, everyone knew Martin Luther King. I said, hey, you know what? I really didn't know what he stood for. And I really appreciated that. And it made it meaningful to the employee. It wasn't just a day off, but it was a day of service. And people actually valued that and have participated. So that just, that was one of the things that to this day, I just feel it makes me actually tingle and tremble when I think about it. That's a good illustration. I think one of the broader points that I gather from what you just described is setting aside the specifics of the situation. I think the impact that's worth calling out is this organization, which you're new to, you said something out loud that you observed and then they took action. I think that principle of not, it, it's not enough to just listen and accept feedback. You need to act on it. And that's really one of the principles of building a, a high performance organization is your willingness to act as a leader and put things into action when it's bubbled up from the team. That's usually one that indicates a strong communication and action orientation within an organization. So really good stuff there, Kevin. I opened the show by saying high-performing organizations and elite teams are built on purpose and mission. But if you as a leader allow productive a-holes to be present on your team, you're never going to reach your potential. How does that tie into the game-changing realizations that you've had through your career when it comes to building high-performing teams? We see how this plays out a lot in life, sports, work, play. I always use a lot of sports analogy. You could have the most talent on the team, but if you don't have a true commitment or people that really accept their roles and responsibilities, you won't have a winning championship team. And you'll see teams that have more collaborative, role acceptance, everyone bought in the vision and purpose, win, right, championships and all, everyone's aligned. There's no ego. And so, I think the most important thing is to really understand goal and the purpose of the individuals that are on your team and make sure they're aligned to the company values and the purpose of the company. And then also making sure that there's a commitment level because what we talk about engagement a lot, you and I on in general, and it's almost a simple equation. If you have an environment that fosters engagement, you're going to have more productivity and it's not going to be work your employees. They were going to enjoy what they're doing and work hard for you. I like what you brought out when you're talking about alignment with mission and purpose and also understanding the role on the team and working together towards uh, a singular goal. That makes sense from both the theoretical and practical perspective, but it can also be taken to the extreme where that sort of environment where people are rigid in their role and execution it doesn't really offer growth. So how do you create a balance where you're still aligned 
to mission and purpose, understand your role, but you're also baking in that growth opportunity within the organization. I think what you have to do is you have to have an organization that's thriving and also has purpose and provides opportunities and layer your organization with individuals that are like future state ready for the next step and that also can prepare and mentor and grow others within the organization so those seats can be filled. And so I'm not saying that you should have an organization that's just restricted to someone that has all the hierarchical knowledge of that role and can only, you know, dictate, not dictate, but provide those roles and responsibilities. I think everyone has to be an athlete and buy into that. This is my main role in my, within my organization. This is like my secondary function. And also the DEI leader can't also be the marketing person, but he can contribute to marketing with ideas around impact and diversity and inclusion and understand that you have folks on your team that can help contribute to the vision because they have the domain expertise is what we're leaning towards. Wow. It's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now back to the show. We're taking the HR Impact Show on the road. As a loyal listener to the HR Impact Show, we'd like to invite you to join us live at the 2024 Transform Conference at the Wynn Resort in Las Vegas from March 11th through the 13th. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors, and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people innovation and transforming the world of work. The 2024 Transform Conference is gonna be the best yet. Here's what you can expect innovative showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, 300 plus speakers, and more. Join us and let's shape the future world of work together. So taking that forward, so when you look at a team that's deeply aligned on purpose and mission, a team that understands each of their roles and how it fits into the bigger picture, what should your talent strategy look like if you're looking for that deep alignment across the entire employee lifecycle? I love that question because I think so often companies just focus on skills and not understand that they need to build a strong culture of people that are aligned with their vision and purpose, either can learn skills or aptitude to gain skills and have transferable skills or that have those skills. Because as someone who's been a talent management recruiter advisor, I always look for both. When I talked to folks, I wanted to learn what their aspirations were. What was the next level? And I understood that if I hired someone that had maximized their skills in the area, they're probably going to have limited growth potential in the role if there were no future opportunities right away. And they're not going to ultimately be happy. So I always try to find that middle ground of folks that have at least a baseline of the skills that's required that also can gain additional skills from the opportunities that were presented and then have growth opportunity and be happy and contribute and also have an organization that can provide other growth potential. You got to think about future state. So pulling on that thread a little bit, when you're thinking about, you always have to have or intentionality around future state. So if you're a people leader and 
you're dealing with the team that you have, but you're also thinking about, okay, where can these folks grow into down the road? How do you create the space to have those sort of conversations and be intentional about the development plans? If you're in a leadership position, you really have to have a good vision and to understand like where your future of your organization is going. And I'll use myself for the example. When I was recruited to Amazon, my manager at the time was looking for someone that was really good at sourcing and recruiting. But yet he saw that I had done a lot of training and I had done a lot of diversity and inclusion. And back then it wasn't even a trending topic, but he knew that the goals of the organization, the three, five, 10 year plan was to be a more diverse and inclusive company. And then he had the vision to understand if I hire this person now, my group and organization within the company will actually have a lot of the skill sets and tools to build a more robust organization. I think that's where you have to have someone that has insight into the different layers within the company. And then he sold me into the opportunity by saying, hey, I love this about you, but I'm also going to, I see you as a person that can do X, Y, Z for us, because here's the roadmap and the plan that we want to build. What I gather from that example, and it's a great example, is that if you're looking at both new talent coming into the organization and also existing talent that you have, and I'll make the argument that your time should be spent in having these conversations with your existing talent first, so you're not Absolutely. dealing with a constant talent attraction yes. problem. But anyways, the, I think the thing that I take away from that conversation is that leaders need to be intentional about having these conversations on a regular basis, and they should be creating the space to, in their one-on-ones, be intentional about how are you moving people towards that vision that you have for them, even when that individual might not even recognize or realize that this is something that they want. So that should be a ongoing conversation and an intentional conversation. It's got to be something that doesn't stop after they're hired. It's got to be something that you do on a regular basis so that you're keeping everybody aligned to the big picture. One of the things that I'm wondering about when we're having this conversation, we're talking about embedding DEIB into your talent strategy. We're talking about how that shows up when it comes to development conversations and retention conversations. We're also talking about the ability to recognize your own bias so that you can meet everybody where they're at. We've talked about a lot of stuff up until this point. Let's set that aside and say we're dealing with an organization or a leader that wants to make this pivot and wants to build this sort of organization where it's highly aligned with mission and purpose, a low diva factor, a low lone wolf factor. What are the things that they need to watch out for when they're trying to make this pivot? Look at the person that you're engaging and look at your potential hire and see what their purpose and, and values are and see what, how they assess themselves, how they see themselves within the organization, how they see their growth potential. See if they have a very me, me attitude versus the we attitude and ask situational behavioral, situational type questions to see how in a simulated type environment, how they would react to certain things or what they do. They talk about how they are they looking for opportunities for just themselves to shine in their role, or they look for opportunities to excel as well as having their organization excel and meet goals within the organization. So I think you really have to start to the front end when you're engaging talent to ensure that you have the right fit and you have the right type of person. That last element of what you said actually struck me in an interesting way. 
when we think about hiring, and I've spent a lot of time in the recruitment space, hiring managers will often tell us, okay, here's what the profile of the, the ideal person will look like. And they'll include stuff like what university you went to, what sorority you were in, what fraternity you were in, all of this stuff. What are the things that leaders need to do to de-bias their talent evaluation process? One that probably most people don't think about, and it's the gatekeeper. The person that's actually doing the screening, doing the, the farming, looking for individuals within your organization, if they're biased or they're using biased mechanisms to do so, then the inputs are going to yield those outputs. And I think a lot of times the, the leaders don't even probably have the opportunity to encounter individuals that have these skills because the people who are evaluating have a bias towards whether it's, hey, some school that they're not familiar with, an HBCU or someone's name or their neighborhood because of their own personal experiences. If you can't find someone that has that unbiased filter, then I would say use technology. There's pre plenty of technologies out there that will cover name, backgrounds, and just present skills. So you can present quality candidates regardless of demographics to your leaders. I like your call out about technical solutions to de-biasing your hiring process, hiding uh, names, previous companies universities that they've attended, all that sort of stuff falls into, into that space. But the other thing that you can do from a practical perspective that doesn't involve technology is shift the conversation that you're having when you're thinking about your ideal candidate profile. When you're thinking about your ideal candidate profile, that conversation that hiring managers and recruiters have should be on what's the deliverable. I want a person that's delivered this in this sort of environment as a product output. When you have that outcomes-based conversation, I think you have a much more meaningful recruitment process than all that superficial stuff about where they went to school well, and all of that. Let me say this, Jim, to that. One of the pushbacks and challenges I'll say with that, and I, I'd say when I was recruiting at Amazon, Amazon is the largest enterprise in the world, right? Or e-commerce company. And there really wasn't any equivalent, like maybe Google or Apple and such, but from an environment standpoint, we were swapping talent back and forth with what I call like the big fang companies already. Once I felt like in certain job roles that was maxed out, you really have to focus on, again, future state talent, people that, hey, even though they may have worked in the mid-cap size organization, they may work on large enterprise projects supporting clients so they understand the, your environment that are robust and how to operate within that. So, Kevin... Really appreciate you hanging out with us and mapping out why this should be an area of focus, what needs to be done. But I want to close the loop here. When leaders are looking at getting started and, start, and starting the process of execution, how do they go about this? Give us some in, insight into the key things that they should be focused on. First of all, they can call me and I'll help them. But really understand where you are in the journey. So understand the maturity of your organization. And I think that's the hardest part for a lot of companies to understand. The first thing I do when I encounter a client, a customer, or look at a company, I don't have to speak with them. I look through the lens of their website. I look at their collateral. I look at their brochures. I look how they show up in industry and who represents them and what they have. And then I could speak to them intelligently about, hey, let's talk about your plan, like where you are your vision, your purpose. I don't see a mission statement about what you hope to accomplish. I don't hear any, any public statements. I don't see any communication around that. I don't see any representation of ERGs or people within the company. 
that show diversity. If you have that, you're not doing the things visibly to attract other folks or to show that you are a transformative organization. So I think it's really doing a self-assessment and the audit and seeing like creep, walk, run, right? And seeing exactly where you are and focusing on those specific areas and having some metrics and goals aligned with that and holding people accountable within your organization to make sure they're fulfilled. The last couple of things before we wrap up, where can people find you? You can find me primarily on LinkedIn. I do a lot of communication through my LinkedIn account. I have several newsletters and newsletters that I publish directly for CEOs, giving tips, best practices, and free information, articles that I circulate that I've, I'm constantly the funnel for this information and going out and absorbing and providing that information to executive leadership. So I, I would advise folks to just can subscribe to that newsletter. And then also I have my own consulting uh, firm called Top DEI Consulting on that website. It's just like it sounds, topdiconsulting.com. And you could just reach out to me directly through either of those channels and I'll be happy to meet with you. And for those who are listening, who happen to be in the Vegas area, that's, that's where Kevin is. So make sure you hit him up if uh, you're out that way to continue the conversation. So Kevin, appreciate you hanging out with us and sharing your insights. I think when I think back on this conversation, there's a couple things that stand out to me as best practices. One is the point that you made early on in the conversation that for leaders to be effective, they have to start with themselves first and recognize and own their own biases. That's actually what's going to put you in a position to meet everyone on your team where they are. If you're not willing to admit where your gaps are, you're never going to build that cohesion amongst your team to become elite. And I think that's an important component that's worth calling out. The other element that stood out in this conversation is that when you're looking at embedding DEIB across your employee life cycle, the obvious area where this starts is in how you attract and hire talent. And if you're not acknowledging the biases that you walk into in the hiring and talent attraction process, you're building a house of cards because the people coming in are set to a mold that reflects your comfort. And some of your comfort is rooted in bias. So you have to be aware of that and make sure you're intentional about eliminating that from your talent attraction and hiring process and be more outcomes focused versus attributes focus. So really great, great stuff, Kevin. Appreciate you hanging out. For those of you who have listened to this episode, make sure you leave us a rating and then tune in next time where we'll bring on another great leader sharing with us the game-changing insights that they had, which helped them build high-performing teams. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.